You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we will spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many as possible. The weather is gorgeous. You would never know we're in November. Got to take my class out for recess, enjoy the warm weather. A little, you know, drop chilly in the morning, but well worth it. So that's something to be upbeat about. Um, the elections are over, I think. I'm not sure. I sort of ran out of patience to keep looking what's going on. And I'm sure um, once they figure out what's going on, someone is bound to tell me. And as I told some of my kids, um, at the end of the day, I'm not even sure how it's going to affect me. But we have bigger and better things to talk about today. I'm actually going to take this show and the next segment, our next show. We're going to do a lot of talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Both shows will have completely different angles on it. Um, but this first show, we're going to get more into just what's happening in this week's Torah portion, this week's Torah portion is Vayera. Abraham, at the end of last week's Torah portion, was circumcised, and, and Yishmael was circumcised, and it's three days later, and generally speaking, three days after a surgery um, is the most painful. God didn't want anyone to visit Abraham. Abraham was always looking for guests, so God made it super hot. So no one's traveling, and Abraham's right in front of his tent, and he's a little uh, disappointed that there's no guests. So God says, fine. So he sends him three guests. He sends him the three angels. Um, each angel has its own job. One to heal Abraham. One to tell Sarah that she's going to give birth to Isaac. And one to overturn Sodom. And it almost seems that the angels informed Abraham that one of them was there to destroy Sodom. So, so it says, um, after, because this is not what I want to talk about this week, Abraham goes, invites them, they eat, and uh, he sends them on their way. And while the two of them, because the one that came to inform Sarah that she would have a child is, has no use in, this, in, uh, in being there anymore, so he goes back up to heaven, the other two angels are on their way down to Sodom. So the verse says, God says, can I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? I must tell Abraham about Sodom because he's going to teach his children. So it's important I tell Abraham about Sodom. The question is, like, why did God feel it necessary to tell Abraham? It's true Abraham's going to pray. And it's true God is going to let Lot get out, his, that's the angels there to save Lot and his family out of Sodom. But why does Abraham really have to know? Like, what, why is it important? What, why is that something that the Torah makes a big deal about, that I, God says, I must tell Abraham, and then Abraham's going to pray? And first glance, we could easily say, we want to teach you the concept that Abraham understands, 
that if somebody else is in trouble, you pray for the person. Sodom, they're all wicked. We're going to talk about that. They're a wicked, rotten place. Not a good city at all. Not good people. And they're the opposite, as far as far opposite as you can get from Abraham. So why would Abraham even want them around? Like, why are you praying for them? So there's different answers why Abraham prays for them. He wants them to have a chance to repent. Maybe there's something good about them. Maybe there's righteous people in the town, and they deserve to be saved. At the end of the day, and we'll, we'll talk about the prayer part maybe a little bit later, but at the end of the day, God knows that he's not saving Sodom and Gomorrah. So why bother Abraham in the first place? So I saw a very interesting, his name was the Chassam Sofer. He lived in the late 1800s. He was a great rabbi in Hungary. So he says, you know, you got to look at, at different great people in history, in Torah history. So there was a, a, a person by the name of Chanoch. Chanoch, um, he lives before the flood. So he, he's before Noah. And while everybody's living 800 years, 900 years, Hanoch lives 365 years. And the verse points out he doesn't live as long because God took him away, didn't want to be influenced. Um, but that's it. That's all we know about this great person by the name of Hanoch. He must have been a very special person. Right? The Torah takes its time to inform us that he was a great person. He walked with God. He, he was a very holy person. And he dies young for that reason. 365, uh, one day, per, uh, one year per day of a, of, a, of a calendar. But that's it. There's nothing famous about him, nothing about his children. There's really nothing at all that we're left with from Chanoch. So Rechsam Sofer says that this Chanoch secluded himself, almost like a monk. That was, he went and he hid. He had nothing to do with people. Yes, because he had nothing to do with people. And he made himself so holy, he became angel-like. He became like an angel. He was really that holy, that special, which is amazing. But that's not Abraham. In other words, yeah, if a person wants, he could make himself like an angel. He could become super holy. But then he's not part of this world. He's not living in this world where he's out there looking to, to influence, to, to help. To, um, to do what Abraham does, right? To be kind, to teach people about God, to teach people how they're supposed to act, to, to help people, to pray for people. That's Abraham. Abraham wants to be out there in the world. Since Abraham is out there in the world, so it's a different path. I'm not discussing better or worse, but, um, but it does seem that the fact that we're put into a real world and we're not just left uh, upstairs as angels would lead one to believe that our purpose in this world is to be out there in the world. I don't mean always out there. There's certainly a lot of places that no one belongs and no one should go. I don't mean that kind out in the world. But I mean we're not secluded. We're not monks. We live a life. We get married. We have children. We go to school. We have jobs. We go to synagogue. We go wherever we go. We live. And therefore, we have to learn from Abraham how one has to live and how one has to deal and how one has to help out in a world. That's, uh, uh, you know, just a starting point, the difference between Hanoch, who again is angel-like, but secluded and good. He lived his life, God takes him away. And Abraham, where, look how much the world comes from Abraham, right? So, um, 
It reminded me of an interesting story when I was thinking about it this week. There was a um, there was a family, and they were their father had passed away, and they were sitting shiva, and people were visiting and uh, asking. And these were not really religious children. The father had been known as a very studious um, religious person, and people came to visit, and they were talking, and uh, somebody said. Uh, you know, did your father study Torah? I mean, he was famous for studying. So one of the kids says, uh, probably. I mean, that's what people say. He must have studied. So another man said, you didn't see them. You didn't see your father study? Like, you didn't know that he was busy with his books? So one of the children said, you know, our father had to study. So you could go look at it if you want. Ceiling to yeah, ceiling, a floor to ceiling, bookcases, wall to wall, piles of books. Whenever he went into that room, he closed the door. So it's very possible that he did a lot of study, but we wouldn't have known. right? In other words, you could seclude yourself and be special, but no one will learn from you because no one will see how you acted. No one will see what you did with your life. They'll know that, yeah, he's a holy person, and he, he hid in his room all the time. You know, for that reason, probably because of that story, um, I study a lot in my house, and I study on my dining room table. Now, I don't have such a big house, but um, even if I could, and I used to find rooms where I could hide, do some of my computer work, and every time I found a room, another kid turned it into a bedroom. Um, but I don't have a study in my house. Now, again, technically, because everybody takes a bedroom, could I find myself an area and build a wall and make a study? I probably could, but I don't because I want my children to see what I do with my spare time. I want them to see that I enjoy studying. And therefore, they also want to study. Now, that means, by the way, that since I want my children to see me studying, they can bother, harass, and, uh, and do whatever they need whenever they want me. So, for example, in the morning, I like to wake up early. I actually start waking up even earlier because I have to drive my son to school. So on my schedule, my son basically cut out 10 minutes of my study time because I have to get him to school and then get to prayers. So I'm now waking up an extra 20, 25 minutes earlier just to get my head open and get my coffee and, and get my studying done. Without fail, my son comes up and he always has questions for me. Now, I'm not going to answer him. I'm going to say, sorry, you can't talk to me. Now, of course, I'm going to talk to him. I just have to get up a little bit earlier so that I can get what I need done till he makes it up the staircase. Today he was a drop later, so I had a few extra minutes. But uh, otherwise, um, that's what, what I consider to be my time. Um, he's going to take some of it. But hello, what's the benefit? He sees what I'm doing with my time. He just wants to take advantage of me because he has his questions, his study questions. Can he ask me this? Can he ask me that? If it's a long, complicated question, I say, you know what? Let's do it later. I have to finish something up over here. But they see that's what I do with my day. That's Abraham, right? Abraham wants the world to see what he does. He wants the world coming through his tent. He wants the world to see he's kind. He wants the world to know that he's busy teaching Torah to the world. That's Abraham. So, um, so therefore, God says, I have to tell Abraham what's going on because he's going to teach his kids about being out there in the world. And, when, and, and this really gets us to the next point, right? Why is Abraham praying if like it's not going to help? Because really that's the whole point. The point is that even, even if it's not going to always help, 
And even if I think it's not going to help, it doesn't matter. My job is to pray. Abraham sees Sodom is about to be destroyed. God just told him. Therefore, Abraham must pray. He cares. He's concerned. He cares about others. He must go ahead and pray for them. Will it help? Won't it help? It's not my problem. But I'm going to teach my children that whenever there's a situation, go pray. Help the person. That was like, um, it was a little eye-opening. I'm in class. Okay, it's before class starts. There's a teacher in the hallway. She is, I mean, it's an interesting way. She is glue-gunning. I'm sure the principal's okay with it. She was glue-gunning projects to the wall. If you don't know what a glue gun is, it's a great invention. It's basically they have these this type of glue in like a stick form, and you put it in this piece of plastic with a heater, and the glue becomes very hot, and it melts, and you put it on stuff, and you stick it. It, it holds everything. Now, things come off. I'm not saying they don't come off, but it's a, it's a very easy, for the most part, clean way of, of gluing things or sticking things to a wall, to other papers. I do it when I make projects, when I, for, for Purim, I make candy things, and I glue all these things to the paper. It's beautiful. Better, it works better for me than crazy glue. It's, it's fantastic, unless you need, like, the crazy glue to be, like, a super solid connection. Anyways, she was probably finished, but somebody must have pulled the plug out of the wall. She had this long extension cord all the way down the hallway. So a kid walking in, the day is beginning, must have pulled out the plug. So I come into class. So a boy says, uh, they're like, you know, I saw the guy pull it out. I know who pulled it out. Well, I saw him. Well, I this. So I said to him, I said, you saw the guy pull it out? He says, yeah. I said, so what'd you do? He said, nothing. What'd I do? I said, well, come on, what'd you do? No, nothing. I said, do you know the famous story with the Chavetz Chaim? That is a very, very famous story. All the children in class know this story. They've heard it uh, uh, numerous times. Books. It's a, it's a very, very famous story. But I told them as I'm telling the story, you don't know this story. You think you know this story. You for sure don't know this story. Yeah, yeah, we really know it. You don't know this story. So first let me tell you the story, and then I'll tell you what I told them. So uh, the story goes that when the Chavetz Chaim was uh, probably a teenager, um, so his friends one time said, oh, you know, you got to come with us. This is so funny. You got to check this out. Wake up early in the morning, 5 o'clock, come. So he, um, all right, he gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and they go um, to, uh, to, to, like, the woods, and they're looking at somebody's house, and it's the house of the water carrier. Right? The guy takes his buckets every morning, fills them up with water, delivers the water, makes a few pennies, go back, gets more water. That's how the guy makes money all day long. So they see the guy goes to his buckets, and he calls out to his wife, oh, bring me the ice chopper. Somebody filled up the buckets with water again last night. It's all ice. i got to chop out the ice before I can get to work. And these guys are laughing. So Chavetz Chaim is sitting there. He understood, he understood what they did. They, the night before they get up and they fill up the buckets with water, let it freeze overnight, and this guy has to suffer. So the Chavetz Chaim doesn't go and yell at these guys, it's not nice, what? They, they, they won't tell them. It won't work. See, you have to use your brains. So the next night, he follows his friends, waits till they fill the buckets with water. After they fill the buckets with water, he waits till they all disappear. He then goes to the buckets and dumps out all the water on the floor. The next morning, he goes out with his friends again. Oh, yeah, let's watch this again. And this time, the guy says, oh. No, we don't need the ice picker. The buckets are empty. Everything is good. 
So my class said, yeah, we all know that story. I said, you don't know the story. I said, you might, you may have heard the story, it's in your brain, but it didn't transfer into you. I said, it didn't transfer to your heart. That's how we usually explain it. I said, why didn't you just plug the plug back in? So you don't want to yell at the person, you don't want to argue with the person. You say you saw the person pull out the plug. Why don't you just go and put the plug back into the wall? You know, like sometimes we hear stories and they're all very beautiful and fine and dandy, but we don't remember to relate the story to us, to make the story become real. And that's what we need to do. We, we learn about uh, Abraham, we, and he prays for people even though they don't deserve to be prayed for and it's not going to work, but you got to learn from the story. It's, not, it's a very nice story, very good, fine and dandy. What, how has that story affected your life? So when I tell you stories, that's really part of what I'm looking for. How will this story affect your life? Okay. So let's just talk about Sodom a little bit because uh, you, you want to know how Abraham is good. We need to see where Sodom is rotten because it's going to be very important in the next segment when we spend time talking about Sodom. we got to know who exactly we're dealing with over here. So Sodom... Sodom um, was known to be wicked. So Abraham sent his servant, Eliezer, to check them out. So he goes down to the town, and the Medrash says numerous stories. He comes into town, somebody sees him as a stranger, picks up a rock, throws it at him, hits him in the head, makes him bleed. Eliezer picks up the uh, perpetrator, brings him to the judge, and says, Judge, this guy threw a stone at me and made my head bleed. So the judge says, Oh, bloodletting. He did you a favor. People pay doctors to bloodlet. You owe the man money. So the servant of Abraham, this Eliezer, says, really? So he picks up a stone, hits a judge on the head, and says to the judge, um, you pay him what you owe me. So now we're all even. It's one story. Another story was if you invited people to be a guest uh, by a wedding, and, you, and you're not the host. So if you just bring a friend along, and they find out, they make it, they go for your clothes. That was, the, that was what they did. So... Um, Eliezer um, goes to a wedding, sits down. Guy sitting next to him says, Hey, who invited you? And Eliezer says to the guy sitting next to him, You did. And the guy looks around and says, Oh, I hope no one heard that. And he quickly runs out. And Eliezer makes his way around the table. Basically, everybody packs out. Eliezer has the meal for himself. Um, they had a rule in Sodom that you could not feed a poor person. I was, you could give him money, but under no circumstance can you sell him any food. So poor people basically died. They knew that they could not stick around because uh, there was no food. Well, there was one beggar that uh, was hanging around town a week, and no one could understand who's feeding this guy. The law in town is you cannot feed poor people. So they did their spying. It turns out it was Lot's daughter. We don't really hear about her. Um, They discovered it was her. They arrest her. They cover her in honey, very gruesome. They put her over an anthill or a beehive or something, and she's killed. So, so Sodom was a real rotten place. They were, we're going to talk about it in the next segment, it was, uh, it was part of their culture to be mean. It wasn't just, you're not a nice person. This, is, this was their law system. They wanted people to be cruel. So, and Abraham is praying for them, right? Which is fascinating, and the reason it's fascinating is because Abraham was alive by the Tower of Babel, right? It's called the Darflaga. 
when Nimrod, they built that huge tower. We talked about that uh, two weeks ago when they built those uh, towers and uh, to attack God or to save themselves from another flood. So Abraham was definitely alive at that point. And there's no mention of Abraham praying for them. So what exactly is the difference if it's the right thing to do? Right? Now it's possible. I guess Abraham got older. So when he got older, he realized what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Maybe you could say such a thing. But assuming that Abraham is, has, has always had this special relationship with God, and Abraham is a kind person, he understands kindness, and, and, and kindness means that he should go ahead and pray for this city, how come he's not praying for this city? How come he prays for Sodom to be saved, even though it's not going to help, and he doesn't pray for the Tower of Babel to be saved? It's a very interesting answer, and this answer will sort of uh, not work as well um, in our next segment we talk about, where we juxtapose two other stories. But Sodom, yes, it's true. They are cruel people. You know, it's possible with cruel people, you know, this is like fresh nowadays, you know, maybe their parents weren't so smart when they raised them, maybe they were abused. There's always excuses out there, Some and, and legitimate, by the way. I'm not saying that they're not legitimate, but, but there's certainly a lot of people nowadays we find with major issues because they, there were issues in the house growing up. So Abraham is entitled to think, at least if he wants to find something why Sodom deserves, at least they should be prayed for. We don't know how they were raised. They have this bad character trait that they are cruel people. That, that they deserve at least to be prayed for. That much they deserve. Wow. The the Daraflaga, the Tower of Babel, this is not a, a bad character trait that they're mean, they don't like to be charitable, that they don't want to give away their money. That's not the Tower of Babel's problem. The problem with Tower of Babel's problem is, and they were peaceful, they loved each other. Their problem is they're fighting God. If you're making a war against God, that Abraham cannot help you. Abraham cannot help you and will not help you to pray to God, save these people who are fighting with you. Abraham wants the world to know about God. You want to fight with God? That Abraham is not praying for. It's a very interesting difference between Sodom that Abraham prays for and the Darfloga that Abraham does not pray for, which shows you, by the way, that Abraham was calculated. It wasn't just he's a nice guy and therefore he's got to pray for everybody. Everything has a reason. And they have to deserve that Abraham should pray for them. So I find that to be very, very fascinating. So talking about prayers, I have about a minute and a half. Something interesting. You know, uh, many people will, uh, if they're Hasidim, they will go to their their rabbi, known as a Rebbe, um, to pray for them. This is something that's been going on for hundreds of years. People go to their rabbis to pray for them. Because, again, they, they think that their rabbi maybe has a better connection. And maybe the rabbi does have a better connection. <clears throat> However, I, 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 I saw this week, uh, there's, they had these pamphlets all over the place. This one was from uh, Rabbi Victor Miller. Um, he lived in this, I mean, he was in this century. He lived, uh, probably passed away 10, 15 years ago. Anyways, Victor Miller said, if a person has a rabbi that prays for him, and he relies on that rabbi to pray for him, he needs to be very, very careful because it's possible that it's idol worship. How could that be? Because our goal is to connect to God. 
Our goal is to know that if I need something, I go to God, I pray, God takes care of me. Now, maybe I think my prayers are not so good. Maybe I think I'm not so good at praying. So fine. So I will go to my rabbi. I will go to my rabbi and say, help me out. I need help. Vigna Miller gives a very a good example. He compares it to a ladder. If the purpose of your rabbi, if the purpose of your rabbi is to be a ladder to help you get closer to God, then that is exactly what's supposed to happen. That is fantastic, perfect, beautiful. It's the way it's supposed to be. But if your Rebbe is the end line, now you forgot about God. And then what was the whole point? And here comes my music. And uh, we kept it short and sweet. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the wonderful production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.